0: Daily with Jason Mertidis. All right, here it is, a September 8th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. We've got important news to discuss in this episode, and that is the potential induction of another member into the Flyers Hall of Fame. To break down the nominees, he joins us from hockeybuzz.com, NHL.com, and PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. It is Bill Melzer. Bill, how
1: are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you, Jason?
0: I'm doing really well and I'm getting really eager for camp. Rookie camp is coming up next week. The following week is going to be training camp. We're not far from preseason games, and which all means that the NHL season is right around the corner. But uh, we got news uh, a little earlier, I guess this summer, that the Flyers Hall of Fame is going to induct a new member. So that's what we're going to talk about on this episode because there's a couple of committees. There's a nomination committee and there's a voting committee. And trying to figure out, Who's going to be enshrined in the Flyers Hall of Fame next? It's been some time now, Bill, since anybody's gotten in. What 2016
1: was the last class that that we that
0: the Flyers inducted a member?
1: Correct. 2016. Jimmy Watson was the 25th and most recent uh, inductee. That uh, was a few months before Mr. Snyder passed away, and uh, there's not been a selection since that point. Um, you know, I know that Mr. Snyder himself certainly would have wanted the Hall of Fame to to keep rolling so uh it, it, it's exciting you know it, it's a uh it's an exciting process it's also it's also a, a you know a little bit of a difficult process because there are so many there really are there's so many people you can make an argument for you know and because somebody doesn't go in this year doesn't mean they won't go in the future or even if they weren't on the the nomination list this year you know that was that was a that that's a tough process because there are a, a lot of people who contribute in a lot of different ways so uh you know there'll be at least one inductee this year possibly possibly more than one i think it all depends on on how the support base goes within the voting but uh but at least one and you know maybe maybe a second so we'll see
0: yeah and it's interesting because you know without anybody getting in in five years it, it almost is like there's you know like it's like a, a sink that's clogged. There's a lot of names clogging right now. We got to unclog the sink a little bit, you know, maybe get out of plunger or something here and uh, get, get the, the snake down there and unclog it. But, you know, full disclosure real quick. Uh, you, you're on the nominating committee along with others. Um, and the nominations are done. You are also on the voting committee. Uh, I am as well. I'm on the voting committee, other media members, you know, former players, former people uh, in the organ in and around the organization. Uh, will make that determination on who exactly does get enshrined. And Bill, one of the things is, you know, the the organization's been around obviously for 50 plus years. Uh, They have the the second highest winning percentage of any team in the league really, you know, since they've come into it, into the NHL, just the two cups in the seventies, but have gone to many cups since. And you and I have broken down that the teams they've played in the finals since winning it have all in essence been dynasties from, you know, the Canadians in, in 1976 to go on to win four straight to 1980 against the New York Islanders, who went on to win four straight, two against the Oilers in, in 85 and 87, who were just the, the best team, perhaps, in the history of the game. And we know what that, that group was. And then you get into, you know, some of the later years where you, you face Detroit, who won three cups in five years. And then in 2010, you get a Chicago Blackhawk team who won three cups in five years. Uh, so there's there's a lot of good players that have come through this organization. What is it that the nominating committee really considers and, and you know, helps those players propel or those figures propel to actually get on the ballot for voting?
1: I, I think it's the weight of career accomplishments, um, you know, some guys, as a flyer, as a flyer. Correct. Yeah. Uh, really, really. Only the only the flyers portion of their career is weighed. Uh, so that you know, for example, a guy like Dale Howardchuk, absolutely a hockey hall of famer, finished his career in Philadelphia. But I mean, Dale only spent uh, one and a one and a one and a half, one and a quarter seasons in Philly. So you know, he's he's rightly inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But I mean, the, this is really looking for people that make contributions to the Flyers organization on the ice, off the ice, in the community. You know, it's a, it's really it's really a broad spectrum of of possible ways that somebody could get into the, to the flyers hall, but it, but it's all based on career accomplishments while associated with the flyers organization.
0: Yeah. I mean, you got guys like Paul Coffey, Adam Oates, right. Tony Amante that have come through here, that Jeremy Roenick, and, you know, guys that were here at points in their career that uh, could end up, if not already are in the hall of fame, but uh, just didn't play enough time here. Right. You know, I look at a guy like Peter Forsberg played what a hundred, just about a hundred games here. It's a point per game player. But the sample size is just so small. Uh, let's talk about this this uh, class that is up for vote because I think it's a really interesting one. And let's kind of just go through these one at a time. And let's start that kind of at the top where the press release is. Simone Gagne is a guy that played 691 games as a flyer, 264 goals, 271 assists, 535 points. I think people don't, you know, you remember Gagne at the very end, and he wasn't the player. Uh, that he was earlier in his career. But for a period of time there, I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable in the mid 2000s and, you know, all star game and playing on a line in the all star game with Mario Lemieux. I mean, he is certainly a worthy candidate, but is it his time yet? Is it going to be the question the committee or the voting committee's got to answer?
1: Sure. And I mean, you know, Simone had back to back 40 goal seasons. Yeah. Uh, that review, that, if you, if you rank the best <laughs> Flyers lines of all time, you just mentioned Peter Forsberg. That line with Forsberg and Gagne and Mike Knubel was, you know, they they'd be in that that top five consideration for the best line of all time. Um, you know, Gagne Gagne wasn't just a goal scorer though; he was a pretty complete player. He was a good two way player, and came up as a center originally. was moved to wing, and uh, you know never never skipped a beat. Well, when he made the transition to playing wing. Um, uh, had some injury issues a couple of years. It probably knocked his numbers down in a few of those years. And, and listen, I mean, Gagne also scored some of the biggest goals in, in Flyers history. We all remember the goal that that completed the comeback uh, against the Bruins in in 2010. You know, in Game Seven, the power play goal in the third period the, that won the series. But someone also started that comeback. He won he won Game Four in overtime. He lose yeah. that game, he gets swept. You know, and Gagne also, you go a couple years before that, Gagne was the one who scored in overtime against Tampa Bay that sent that series to a game seven. Um, So he's been involved in in a lot of big moments over the course of his career as a flyer. Uh, Took a lot of pride in being a flyer. It's a shame it didn't work out that he could have spent his whole career in Philadelphia. He would have liked that. It just, you know, unfortunately the salary cap doesn't always work out that way. But, um, you know, Simone had a tremendous career, uh, when you think of the Flyers the, the late nineties to the mid two thousands, uh, I th- I think Gagne, you know, is right at the the top of that list. And he's the guy who was hey, I mean he was also part of uh the team that uh in in uh two thousand that got within a win of the yeah. cup from and on. He was a rookie that year. He had a really good he had a really good rookie year that year. So you know, you go through that whole decade uh in the uh two thousands where 2004 they, they get within a win of a Cup final and 2010 they get to the final. Gani was a key contributor in all those teams for a decade so I think I think Simone you know he's uh, he's very I mean really we're gonna say that for everybody on this list but Simone is is very deserving when you look at the players from from that time period that, that he played there he's to me he's right right at the top of that list.
0: Yeah, I agree. And he's always just been such a gentleman to deal with as well. And a great guy in the community. And as you mentioned, just for about a decade, I mean, he was one of the faces on the marquee and, you know, and some successful teams there, even though some of those teams kind of, you know, there was a lot of turnover and the bringing guys in at, at, you know, different points in their career to supplement. And with that line, you're right, a Forsberg and. Big Mike Knubel was a great power forward and a great power play player as well. Uh, That's a great memory. Uh, Let's go to the next name on the list, and it's a name that's uh, synonymous with the Flyers. Paul Holmgren played 500 games, uh, had 138 goals, had 171 assists, 309 points, quite a a bit of penalty minutes as well. Uh, Has been with the team in several capacities as a coach, as a general manager, as the president, been around a long time, been around the game a long time, uh, and, you know, a lot of people like to blame Paul Holmgren for a lot, but he did get his team made the pronger deal to get them to the cup in in 2010. And he's also uh, been a guy who's helped countless people, not only in the organization, but but in the community as well. And uh, he's a good man and, and certainly a worthy nomination.
1: Sure. I mean, I, I, when you take the combined weight of everything that Paul has done and we can we can break down each area because you know every everything just adds to the resume but uh, the only person in, in franchise history who's been a player assistant coach head coach assistant GM general manager and team president and every, in every one of those respects he made he made important contributions know uh, we, we can start with the playing side of it um, you know there Paul first of all was the the first American to be a, a regular on the flyers now the flyers uh, inaugural team did have an American player on it, Wayne Hicks, although he wasn't with the team that whole year. But the first American who stuck with the team and became a regular for a long period of time was Paul Holmgren, and that's a that's a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of our, our our younger listeners don't remember the time when Americans were few and far between in the NHL, and and Paul was Paul was the first, and yeah, you know, he held
0: the record like in the state of Minnesota for for high school hockey for goal scoring, and. Which is like if people don't understand, like high school hockey in Minnesota is the be-all end-all. It's a huge deal.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it is. I mean, high high school hockey in Minnesota is like high school football in Texas. Yeah, and that's really that's really how big it is. Um, you know, and, and Homer came in. I mean, Homer Homer was the one who took over Dave Schultz's role, but uh, but Homer could score too. You know, Homer. Uh, if you remember the the Rat Patrol line with Kenny Linsman and mm-hmm. Homer. You know, and um, and Brian Propp was a rookie at that time. And Homer had a 30-goal year that year. Um, Homer was the first American to score a, a hat-trick in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, he made it an NHL All-Star game. So he was he was a really good player. Paul had a lot of injuries, an eye injury, you know, um, probably being the most serious one. But, but Paul had a lot of injuries that kept him out of the lineup at times. And people remember Paul as a tough guy, but the guy could really play too. I mean, yeah. he was uh, – he was a force for the flyers and a guy who stepped up in a lot of big games. You know, that's, that's just, that's just the playing. part. Of it.
0: Yeah. And then you get to the, uh, the other part, you know, off the ice, this is a man who has dedicated his life to the organization in a lot of ways. Did leave, went to Hartford. We know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, for the, 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 pretty much the entirety of his adult life, he's been involved in the flyers organization and, I mean, it's it's crazy to to think about the amount of years and tenure that he has been with the organization.
1: It it really is, you know, and I mean, you know, we go and talk very briefly about the coaching side of it, but I mean Paul was on Mike Keenan's staff on eighty five and eighty seven as an assistant, and then as the head coach in eighty nine, where well, the Flyers kinda of came out of nowhere that year and, yeah. and not within two wins of the cup final, Homer's the head coach, you know, during during that during that particular run. Um you know, unfortunately, a lot of Homer's head coaching tenure coincided with uh, that period where the Flyers missed the playoffs. After that, because Mark Howe got hurt and Brad McCrimmon was no longer there, and you know, and, and Tim Carr was no longer healthy, so a lot of things that were beyond the head coach's control were going down. But I mean, Homer, when he had a, an intact roster, he, he was he was a good, solid head coach for the team. Uh, as you said, he, he went to Hartford for a period of time, and then he came back on the on the uh Front office side, the assistant GM, to Clarkie, and it was really Homer that ran all those drafts. You know, the the draft of Gagne, for example, yep. the draft of Giroux, uh, Justin Williams. Homer was Homer was very much on the inside of that. Uh, Clarkie tended to delegate the amateur scouting side and relied a lot on his scouts and and Homer for the drafting side of it. So I think that I think that piece of it too is something that I don't think Paul gets a lot of credit for, but I think deserves credit.
0: Yeah, and, and a lot of people, you know, you look at his general manager, you know, his uh, stint as the GM after he took over for Bob Clark and eventually, you know, ceding to uh, Ron Hextall. And there's a lot of there, there's a lot that happened in that period of time, too, that was positive. It, you know, at the end, yeah, there may have been some salary cap issues and uh, Mr. Snyder wanted to do everything to win during that period. Uh, but, you know, th- there were some good a lot of good decisions made in there. There were some good draft picks in there as well. Uh, so he, he's he got a, a very worthy resume for consideration here for the voting committee as well. Let's move on to, to Bob Kelly because the Hound is is still around and he's still the Hound. Um, but, uh, you know, he scored some huge goals for the Flyers. Of course, won a cup and has been around the organization as an ambassador and, and, and a face at games that you see and talking to so many people. Great guy, but played 741 games, had 128 goals, 168 assists, 296 points. And he's been with the organization over 30 years at this point. Uh, he's the ambassador of hockey, and uh, he, he's a good man as well. And
1: and he's under consideration here for Flyers Hall of Fame as well. Sure, uh, go real fast for the playing side. As you said, big goals. He scored the cup-winning goal in '75. Yep. And uh, with Rick McLeish having passed away yeah. five years ago, he's the only he's the only living person that can say they scored a cup-winning goal for the Philadelphia Flyers. So none none get any bigger than that. But, I mean, you know, Kelly never played a game in the minor leagues, went right to the NHL, um, played a decade with the team, was the ultimate energy player for the team. He, uh, you know, I mean, he was was like a bowling ball out there. And, uh, you know, and and the thing thing was that Kelly mostly played in the lower half of the lineup, and Fred Shearer once said if – Bob Kelly scores 20 goals it means I'm not using him right. <laughs> Kelly did have a 20 goal year as a Flyer though. And you know and and when he went to when he went to Washington after the Flyers he led the team in scoring that year. Because because he could play too. I mean he yeah. he, he knew his role, he knew what he did best and he took pride in that role. But I mean Kelly was a very good hockey player for a very long time and didn't get a lot of credit for being a good solid player and being, being the ultimate team guy. I mean, Kelly never cared about a statistic in his life. He only cared about being part of a winning team. And then the, and then the ambassador side of it, you know, nobody has logged more miles on behalf of the Philadelphia flyers over the years, uh, at least in in the non-scouting capacity, I guess, than than Bob Kelly, because he is out in the community all year long. Um, You know, hospital visits. He's at schools multiple days a week throughout the school year always with the same energy and enthusiasm. He volunteers his time to be one of the assistant coaches with the Flyers Warriors team. You know, he, he does does hockey clinics, all, all in the name of the Flyers. And when they do that, the uh, community caravan during the summer, Hound is, always, Hound is always a part of it. You know, so people that never saw Bob Kelly play a game, people that may not remember his career at all, still still see him around the building, really he's one of the most visible guys because he's he's always pounding the pavement he's always around the building and uh he's he's he he's instantly recognized by people that you know never saw him play and I think that that speaks to how hard he works, but also also how he connects with people well people would have loved the
0: the way he played to see that now and not because of fighting but just because he was a, a guy that had size, that could skate, and was a fearless forechecker. checker. Like you said, he was like a bowling ball. He'd just get in and just like, poof, poof. It reminds me of kind of, you know, when you would watch like ESPN highlights of football and you'd watch like Marshawn Lynch and, and just guys bouncing off. him. Like he was just, I'm going to get the puck. And guys would just be bouncing off him because he was just such an energy guy. It was awesome. Uh, let, let's go to, you know, off the ice here, but a guy that's made incredible contributions to the team and he's been around forever. He, in a lot of ways, he is the voice that we've all heard for so many years in that arena, whether it was the Spectrum or now the Wells Fargo Center and the iterations thereof. But it is Lou Nolan who's been in the public relations. But he was in PR for sixty-seven through seventy-two, but he's been a PA announcer from nineteen seventy-two, the year I was born, to this day. And he, you know, he has emceed some incredible moments and. Uh, with, with the Flyers organization and some tragic moments as well. I remember when Pelly Lindbergh died, and he emceed that along with Gene Hart, and mm-hmm. just some of those moments st- stick out for for so many for so many people in in their brain, and for me as well. He's just been such a big part of this organization, and he, he's you know, like I said, he's been the PA announcer since '72.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. A PA announcer for the, the Stanley cup teams, Yep. you know, play, players come in to Philadelphia and, and then, you know, I'm, I've i had people say this to me that, the, that the, they really felt like they belonged, They belonged in the team. The first time they heard flyers goals scored by number, whatever, you know, because by Lou and, uh, I mean, Lou is the one and only person who can say he has been with the flyers organization from day one to today. Yeah. Um, you know, not even, not even Joe Watson or some, some other people could say that. And, and Lou has been, you know, really, he rarely ever misses a game. I mean, every once in a while, Keith Jones, the other Keith Jones yep. filled in as PA guy and everybody, you know, and Keith is good, but everybody's like, well, where's Lou? You know, Lou is, yeah. uh, I mean, Lou is an institution in Philly and he's, I mean, he's so good at what he does that he was the PA announcer at the Olympics, you know, for, for the hockey tournament in the Olympics. I mean, he was in Salt Lake city and Lou, um, you know, Lou is another guy who's always out there in the community, you know, whether it's the uh, Flyers Warriors or the the Flyers Power Play, the Power Wheelchair team that the, the Flyers have, do- have adopted. I mean, Lou's out there. Youth hockey, he's the, the PA announcer. Sometimes, sometimes the de facto play-by-play guy, too, is the MCs the event. You know, he'll, yep. he'll do some commentary from the, uh, from the box. So he, uh, you know, I mean, Lou is, everybody, every, I mean, every, <laughs> I I have yet to meet a person who doesn't like Lou Nolan. Lou is an unbelievably good guy. And, uh, you know, I mean, his voice is instantly recognizable. You don't even have to identify him. And I think it speaks to how much Flyers fans love him, that for years and years, there have been these online petitions, you know, put, put Lou Nolan in the Flyers Hall of Fame. So I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that that Lou has uh, made the finalist list here. I mean, just, just one of my favorite people and an absolute legend, you know, around the arena.
0: Yeah. And he's just such a good man too. I remember when my father passed, he sent me a long note and didn't have to do that. And, and I really appreciated it as, as a guy that, you know, as a kid go, going to so many games with my dad and hearing him at the old spectrum section R row seven is where my dad's season tickets were. And to, to get that meant so much to me. And, and he's been such a big part of it. Uh, we have two more players to look at bill. And this gets really tough with these two players because these are two players that just were so good as Flyers. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't win a cup here. They won cups elsewhere. But let's start with the wrecking ball. Uh, Mark Recchi, 602 games played as a Flyer, 232 goals, 395 assists, 627 points. He holds the franchise record for points in a season, single season. Uh, Mark Reckey's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he is worthy of being in the Flyers Hall of Fame.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, if you look at that 50-50 club, 50 goals, 50-100 club, rather, 50 goals and 100, 100 points, you know, Recky's one of the few members of, few members of the club that have ever, ever, ever done that. Um, the, the year he had the 123 points. But it wasn't just that one big year. I mean, he won three Bobby Clark trophies. Um, you know, he uh, came back for the second stint. And I actually think, although he didn't have as many points the second time around as he did during – during those back-to-back hundred-point years, I think Rex was a better all-around hockey player when he mm-hmm. came back from Montreal. You know than, than he was when he was really racking up just just monstrous points in the early '90s with the Flyers. Um, you know, uh, a team leadership uh, staple during those years. Uh, good teammate, uh, tremendous. We I mean, one of the best playmaking forwards the Flyers have ever had. And also, you know, Reckie could move around, too. I mean, he was, I guess, primarily a right winger. But if you need him on the left side, he could do it. If you needed a, if you needed a, somebody to play center for five games, he could do it. And, um, you know, it, it, is, it is a shame that, that Rex never played on a team that won the Cup. And unfortunately, just although they came close, really close, within a win twice, they didn't play in the finals either during, uh, during those years. So I, I think some people might hold that against Mark. But, I mean, it was never because of him. It was just because it's a team. Teams win, you know, teams win cups. So, uh, you know, Racky was a tremendous, tremendous hockey player. And also, he played more games as a Flyer than he did as a Penguin, as a Canadian, as a Bruin, any of the other teams. He played more games in Philly than with any any other team. So, to me, he's an absolute no-brainer that he belongs in the Flyer song.
0: Yeah, he was on that crazy eights line, too, early in Lindros' career with Brent Fettick and, and Eric Lindros, 8, 18, and 88. Um, and he had a tool in his bag, Bill, that is just a nightmare for goaltenders as a left shot coming down the right wing and where he could, you know, stick in the middle of the ice. That's a, a weird shot and a weird read, but he could snap it coming down that right wing uh, kind of, you know, it wasn't a slap shot. He just found a way to lean into it and,
1: Used the flex of an old wooden sticks in some way, and boy, he could snap it too. He did. He had those, he had those big, powerful wrists right up there. You know, maybe not quite where Rick McLeish was as a wrist shooter, but he had he had that tremendous shot. And you always had you always had to respect the pass too, yeah, because he was again he was one of the best playmaking forwards of his era. Um, so it, you know, he was, he was a double threat in that way. Rakey could find so many different ways to beat you, and he had that unorthodox skating style too. Yeah, you know, Rex almost like he was running on skates. Yep. It it wasn't wasn't a pretty skater necessarily, but he he was very quick. He got from point A to point B very efficiently. And that's because of that's because of what a, a smart hockey player he was. He saw the ice as well as just about anybody you can you can name from his era.
0: Yeah, played over 1,600 NHL games as well. And uh, it, certainly a guy that could go in and um, it, just a fun guy to watch, too. Uh, the last guy that we're going to the profile here for consideration for the Flyers Hall of Fame is one a, a lot of people's favorite. You still see his jersey all over the place, yeah. whether you're at the Jersey Shore on the boardwalk in, in Wildwater Ocean City or or at any Flyers game. And it's Rick Tockett. Uh, 621 NHL games played, was drafted by the Flyers, 232 goals. 276 assists, 508 points, you know, early in his career bill, you looked at him and said, okay, this is a guy that's going to be the prototypical flyer power forward type player. Didn't maybe have the skill, but eventually turned into a massively skilled hockey player.
1: We did. Um, he had two 40 goal seasons as a flyer, um, you know, and, and he could get your 40 goals on 200 penalty minutes in a year. Yeah. And, and the thing, the thing with talk too, is that as you said, the beginning under Mike Keenan, you know, talk played in the bottom six. Yeah. He wasn't a, he wasn't a power play guy originally. He worked and he worked and he worked. I mean, he, he embodied work ethic, he embodied toughness and no excuses too. I mean, he, he played, you know, he played through absolutely anything. And, uh, you know, talk was the, you know, when, when power forward started to start to come in vogue, Cam Neely and, uh, you know, and, and I, I guess Al Secord came before him. But, I mean, when the people started talking about power forwards, to me, Rick Tock it was, was the prototype of that, you know, yeah. before before a guy like Keith Kachuk came around. And he, uh, you know, and he also, ultimately in Pittsburgh, he did have a 100-point year for them, too, which would have been un, which would have been unthinkable early in Tock's career because, again, he was playing deeper in the lineup. But even as a flyer, he played in a couple of All-Star games, 240-goal seasons, um, won the Bobby Clark Trophy. And he could play with a variety of different line mates too. You know, whether it was whether it was a guy like Pelly Eklund or it was mm-hmm. uh, a more power oriented guy, I mean Toc talk could adapt to him. And uh, you know, I mean I mean as, as you said just an immensely popular player, whether it's the twenty two or ninety two version of his jersey, twenty two being the eighties, early nineties, and the yeah. the other one his second stint. I mean, I, people were thrilled when, when talk came back in in uh, two thousand. And he was an important part of that that the leadership group. Remember, Lindros wasn't available for for much of that time, and uh, that group that just came together and got the team within a win of the Cup finals. You know, talk was a big part of that as coming back that year. And although his body was really breaking down at that point, he he brought a lot to the team, just in his willingness to battle for pucks, for his his. You know when, when he spoke up in the room people uh people paid attention so it wasn't all just the goal scoring side of it either or the toughness side of it rick taker brought a lot to the hockey team in a lot of different ways and if you and if you want to look at a career that was truly born of hard work because taker was not the most naturally blessed skill guy i mean uh, he, he he's the prototype to me uh of a player who made himself from a role player into an all star
0: He's a guy that was taken in the sixth round. You know, it would probably be about the fourth round now because there's, you know, more teams, but 121st overall, a sixth round pick. It's a self-made player. And he's taken that, you know, the way he approached the game into his coaching. And uh, he's a really good head coach as well. At some point, I would imagine maybe, uh, you know, he could end up being behind this bench as a flyer coach at some point. It just makes sense.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, who, who knows what, uh, who knows what time will bring. Right. But I mean, I, I, I think that, uh, I, I think talk is uh, just embody so much of what the Flyers have always meant and, and the identity they, they still want to have, actually. I, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at, look at a person that, uh, that brings the, the work ethic side, the team oriented side, I mean, Rick Tocket Rick Tocket brings all of that. And also, you know, there there are only three people that are in the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame who are not yet in the Flyers Hall of Fame. Uh, one is Rick Tockett, one is Mark Recchi, and one is New- Lou Nolan. So, uh, wow. you know, I mean, uh, I think that if, if not this year, all three eventually will will rectify that and all three will be in both.
0: Yeah, it, it's what, what a class. I mean, you're, the, the people we've just gone through, Simone Gagné, Paul Holmgren, Bob Kelly, Lou Nolan, mark Reckey and rick Tockett. that is the nominations for the flyers hall of fame when will we get the announcement on on who will be inducted bill do we know this yet
1: i i'm not sure yeah i i know it'll be i know it'll be upcoming you know um i don't uh i i think that's still that's still under wraps but uh you know but i mean uh, i i know i know that uh i know that i'm greatly anticipating who it will be um You know, and I I also know uh, I also know how tough the selection is. I mean, I think I hope that people do realize that those that uh, didn't get on the finalist list or will not be the ultimate selection or selections this year are are all pretty worthy. And, and, you know, they'll it'll be rectified over time now that the Hall of Fame is active again. So that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, the most recent member, as you mentioned, 2016 was Jimmy Watson. Brindamore went in in 2015. So did Eric Desjardins Uh, back in 2014. It was Lindros and Leclerc on that special night at the Wells Fargo center, Dave Schultz in 09, uh, Ron Hextall in 08, Dave Pullen, Mark Howe, and on down the list as well. But uh, it's going to be a tough decision for the voting committee. One that uh, I've got to make as well. And, you know, you got to consider everything and, you know, from, on ice and and contributions as a flyer. And there's certainly some worthy uh, finalists there for the nomination. And then one of them will be enshrined. Maybe two of them will be enshrined at a game this upcoming season, bill real quick, before we wrap this episode up, let's talk about what is to come. Uh, We haven't really talked about the the Joel Farabee extension, Uh, you know, Chuck Fletcher has been so busy this offseason. And when I spoke to him, I said, are you done now? Uh, you know, can you get a little bit of downtime and relax? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to have a little time off. And then boom, out of the blue comes this Joel Farabee extension uh, on that day. And, and we all kind of go, wow, look at this. Uh, this is a good piece of business for the general manager. And, you know, there's a little bit of risk involved. There always is when you're signing a player early on an entry level contract. Uh, but they know the player. They know the work ethic. They know the character. And I think that's probably why they felt comfortable doing what they did and could get tremendous think, value in this.
1: Yeah, I think that that I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, not just that he had a breakthrough year last season, but they they know the character of the player. They know that the job security that an extension like this brings is not going to uh, adversely affect him, affect his approach. Um, you know, it does. It brings it brings pressure, but I, I think farrabee is a guy who embraces pressure. And over the long haul, uh, it could be a bargain on the salary cap. Maybe not short-term. Maybe if the Flyers had gone bridge deal, that uh, a year from now his cap it would be lower. But I think you look long-term at the rate he's been progressing and also, also keeping in mind that it's not just goals. Again, you're looking at a guy who's a pretty complete player and should only continue to get better and more consistent across the board. So, you know... Maybe th- two, three years from now, we're looking at wow, this is this guy. If he would be on the market, would make heck of a lot more than five million on the market. So it's a it's a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of risk on the Flyer side. It's a little bit of risk on Farabee side too, because yeah. uh, you know if, if you look like look at the way that uh, Sean Couturier on, on his current contract, you know he ended up being quite underpaid on on his current contract just because just because of the level he played to. Uh, would have on the open market far exceeded, you know, what he was paid in his last contract. So there's there's risk on both sides, but but uh, it's a long-term relationship that both sides are are eager to continue. Um, and uh, you know, as young as Faraby is, he's a player who should really only be scratching the surface right now. So I think it, I think it's a good thing for both sides.
0: Yeah, he possesses uh, uh, two things that I think that made them feel comfortable. It's awareness of the areas that he needs to get better at. And, yeah. you know, finishing was one of those areas in his rookie year where he had eight goals. He had so many good opportunities, but needed to work on his finishing ability to be NHL level, to, to be able to score like he did last year, 20 goals in 55 games, a 30 goal pace. And then the work ethic to, to have that awareness, nobody needs to work on and then put in the work to do it. I, I think the thing that's fascinating, and I brought this up with Joel when we had him on, um, was taking him back to that moment over in the Czech Republic where the Flyers had final cuts. And we saw it in the uh, Behind the Glass series where A.V., when they were doing team stretches at center ice, went over and told him, you know, he's not on the opening night roster. He already told him that. But, you know, go down, do the right things. You'll get back up here and you won't go back down. And Farabee, you know, some players, that that's hard. You know, when these guys haven't been cut from teams. (laughs) You know, when you get to that level and you're a first-round pick, you've probably never been cut from anything in his life. And to be cut and then go down, and we, I remember talking about it with you, you know, he went down and worked his butt off with the Phantoms and got back up, and now he's here to stay. And look at the look at the reward.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it, it's something that uh, you know, it's something that other players can look to as well. You go down, you, you go down, and you do the right things. Yep. And, and you know, you'll you'll be rewarded on the other side of it. And uh, you know, you can even go back to uh, even go back to Claude Giroux. We yeah. mentioned that at the time when uh, Farabee was cut, Giroux first year in the NHL was a half year because he spent uh, a couple of months with the Phantoms that season. He didn't make the team out of camp. So, you know, getting not making the opening night roster, it's not the it's not the end of the world. It's a starting place, but it's not the destination.
0: Yeah. I, I and mean, I always say that success in the NHL is not a straight line. Look at Scott Lawton, you know, sure. first round pick again had to go back and and redevelop what he was going to be at the NHL level has done that. He got the contract extension as well. So uh, certainly a a good news. Well, Bill, it's right around the corner. I mean, at this point, we're just trying to save all of our energy for what's about to take place. And it's uh, it's getting real close to right now uh, to the NHL season beginning and training camp is uh, just about a week and a half away, two weeks away and rookie camp Um, development camps in the rear view. Any battles that, kind of stick out to you that are, that are going to develop here in this training camp? I mean, there's some guys with a lot of intrigue. Cam York is obviously going to be a really intriguing figure as is guys like Wade Allison and Tanner Lesinski and seeing a lot of the new faces, Ryan Ellis and Rasmus Ristolainen and obviously Keith Yandel and and some of the changes up front as well with Cam Atkinson. What's the big storyline that you're going to be looking at heading into training camp?
1: For me and mind you, it's, uh, you know, camp in preseason but so much comes down to goaltending and it, it would be nice to see both Carter Hart and Martin Jones have good solid camps go into the season with a lot of confidence and, and roll from there because so much is riding on the goalie tandem yeah. and uh you know I mean I I think that the roster itself uh position wise is close to set unless they're injuries now they're, they're all often surprises you know um I mean they you know I I'd like to see, especially because uh, Wade Allison did have some injuries in camp, just, just be healthy. Uh, Morgan Frost had a good development camp. I'd like to see him push for a spot, even if he does start the year for the Phantoms. Uh, Lisinski is coming off of surgery. He should be cleared during camp. So I'd like to see how many of the young players really position themselves to challenge. Um, you know, just because Keith Yandel, Probably if you're making the opening lineup right now is in the starting six, that doesn't mean that Cam York couldn't come and force the issue. Or or Derek Broussard on the third line. That doesn't mean that uh, doesn't mean Morgan Frost couldn't push to unsee them as the third line center or you know, or maybe have Broussard move to a wing. I mean it, it's really uh, really all those things will be determined in the weeks to come. You can you can say who may have the inside track. But uh, there's always surprises in camp. I mean, you you talked about the, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when Joel Farabee was cut. Who was expecting uh, Carson Twarinski and Connor Bunneman to make the opening night roster that year? Yeah. I mean, players come into camp and they they if they play to us perform to a certain level. They can they can force the issue. So you know, we can we can talk all about uh, who we project being on the opening night roster, but I would venture to say that you know, there's likely to be a, at least a little bit of deviation from that by the time the opening night roster is set.
0: Yeah, and the big storyline for me through camp is going to be, through camp and, and really in the first part of the season is, is ha, you know, how long is it going to take for this team to come together, this yeah. unit, right? Because there's so much turnover this offseason to, to get that familiarity, to play on instinct and not on thought, I think is paramount. And I'm yeah. sure that A.V. is going to design his training
1: camp to, to accelerate that process. Sure. So so much of it comes down to the communications and reading off of one another. And, you know, uh, I mean, those foundations are laid in camp, but it's really, it's really, that's developed into the season. And that's why, uh, that's why sometimes when a team has less turnover, if they're, if they've been successful the year before, they're at a little bit of an advantage on the other hand, um, you know, you look at the team two years ago that had numerous changes, you know, with uh, Niskanen coming in and, and all and all those other changes, you know, Braun and uh, Pitlick that year. And it did take a little bit of time to gel. But by November, in November, they had the best record in the NHL that month. So it might take a couple of weeks. You just don't want to get off the too slow of a start. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's going to be it's going to be critical. The whole team coming together and all around the goal of playing a much better brand of two-way hockey than we saw a year ago, and that, yeah. that's going to start. That's going to start at five-on-five, five, but obviously the special teams have to improve too.
0: Yeah, the D-zone's got to be considerably cleaned up, and they got to play in the offensive zone more. That helps defense playing in the other end and having the puck. All right, Bill, that's going to put a wrap on it. The great stuff as always, uh, and uh, you know we'll see how the voting process takes place for the Flyers Hall of Fame. Everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll talk to you on Friday. Have a great couple of days and we'll talk to you on Friday's Flyers Daily.